If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Things above, that's the theme for this year's hymn sing at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The bridegroom soon will call us. Jerusalem the golden, wake awake for night is flying, and a whole bunch more. You don't want to miss it. Making the Case is Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. We confess that there is one church, but we do make something of a distinction between those members of the church who are still here, still suffering, fighting, waging war, call it a spiritual warfare. We know who the enemies are. Scripture identifies them. And those who are no longer fighting. They are at rest. They are awaiting the resurrection. We call them the church triumphant. So why is it that many Christian confessions in the last several decades have shied away from that militant language that is found in so much of Scripture and so many of our hymns. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. live on this Monday afternoon, March the 6th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to be studying a church militant hymn, Lord of Our Life, with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, and then we'll be looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary, the third Sunday in Lent, Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship, for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, will be our guest. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Pray, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands, and he's host of a daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. Why is the militant language, you're going to find a lot of it here in this short hymn, why is it so important that we retain that language, not only in the way we teach about the church militant, but also that in the way we sing about the, the church? We sing. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny, Todd. I got to tell you, I was uh, down in Texas this past uh, weekend with uh, a whole bunch of men from uh, several congregations in the uh, greater Austin area, and this hymn was actually scheduled to be the last hymn we were going to sing. And we ended up dumping it to sing a mighty fortress because, you know, we didn't sing a mighty fortress yet. So we needed to do that. But the first hymn that they started to sing, I had to stop them. I mean, like it began and I was like, uh, no, <laughs> I said, don't. I hope our hearers don't get mad at me for saying this. I said, don't sing like a bunch of women, <laughs> you know, yeah. You got to think, you got to think like you're marching off to war. This is the spiritual battle song. And, and I think that's actually a feature of Lutheran hymnody in particular that really shines. And Lutheran hymnody, therefore, sort of is drawn to it when it shows up in other places, too. This particular hymn had an Anglican origin. But I remember so well, Todd, at the time that the LBW came out, there was already beginning to be this a Lutheran book of worship in 1978. There was beginning to be this sort of muting of this image as though there's some sort of a shame attached to the church speaking and thinking of herself as military, as militant. So, I mean, all those hymns, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Oh, we're Christian soldiers. I mean, songs like that, that urged along and, and even other ones that are much deeper in our tradition, like Oh Little Flock, Fear Not the Foe, they sort of fell into a time of disfavor because people were like, well, you know, 
the church is supposed to be about being nice, right? About being kind and loving. And, and, and this military language can imply that we're going around trying to kill people. Same period of time where people began to be really, can I call it hyper negative on the crusades as though they by themselves were already problematic and evil from the get-go. And this idea of using military imagery to rouse the Christian people to actually fight the good fight of faith, which is entirely biblical. And we're going to see it's throughout the pages of the New Testament. This became something that fell into such disfavor that Christians began to be ashamed of it. And I actually regard the loss of the military, the I'm going to call a militaristic type of hymns as actually being a symptom of our age. It's the hyperfeminization of the church and culture around us. What do we lose when we shun hymns like this, when we don't sing them? We lose, first of all, I think, the singing of the men. I've often pointed to this example, but, I mean, think about it. Most men are just not going to be really eagerly standing there singing, sweetly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling to you and to me. Yeah, I mean, I know it's a popular revival hymn, but it's what I call the the, the Fanny Crosby-izing of, of the hymnal. When that stuff gets in and gets a hold— it becomes the stuff that, well, the men aren't going to want to sing that. They're just not going to want to sing those kind of words. But you give a man a military tune and a military theme, and you hear the singing uptick. So after I exhorted the brothers down in Texas, I got to tell you, they were impressive. They just started belting it out. No, they weren't screaming. Contra always tells me not to have the children scream. I like the children to sing really loudly, though. And it's the same kind of thing here. The guys were really belting it out. It puts you back into the old army. That's what the army used to do, right? I mean, military was a place where men sang together. And that's something where, uh, <laughs> go, go, go through the Bible. How, how does Israel go into battle, Todd? What do they, I mean, remember with Jehoshaphat? I love that. Out go the priests and out go the musicians and the song, the, you know, the Lord, praise you, the Lord, his mercy endureth forever and ever. And with that, they defeat the foe. <laughs> that's how we go. What do we know about the origins and authorship of this hymn? Sure. First of all, the actual text that we have in our hymnal is written, for the most part, by uh, Philip Pusey. It was sort of modernized slightly for LSB. It's adapted, though, from a hymn written by Matthias Apelles von Löwenstein. He lived during the time of the Thirty Years' War. And to make matters worse, he was brought up very much in the Reformation tradition and he ended up being an imperial advisor to Ferdinand II and Ferdinand III, the Holy Roman emperors who are basically causing the Thirty Years' War. Can you, you can't help but think of how horrible that was for that, that whole time. Remember coming into, before the Thirty Years' War in Germany from 1555 onward, you could be Lutheran or you could be Roman Catholic. Those were your options. And so because of that, the Reformed kept on trying to squeeze in. We, we saw this when we did the Catalog of Testimonies. They, they, would, they would identify themselves as Lutheran, but then try to remake Lutherans over into uh, Calvinists. And this whole thing just boils over with the Counter-Reformation, where the emperors are coming back saying, look, this is enough of this whole nonsense. You guys are going to get in line, and we're all going to be Roman Catholic again, and that's that. Well, that was not going to happen. And so war broke out all over the place. I mean, it really engulfed all of uh, Central Europe, and it was very, very devastating. It's not like there was 
people fighting in every place for 30 years. It kept moving, right? But where the armies were, it was really, really awful. And uh, as usual, all kinds of misery, famine, disease spread in that war's wake. And it was particularly a nasty conflict in Silesia, which is where von Löwenstern originally hailed from. So he writes this to be a hymn of comfort about during that time of war. And then when Pusey got a hold of it, now this is not, people might recognize that name, Pusey. They might go, wait, wait a minute, I've heard of him, right? He's the famous guy with the Oxford movement. Almost. It's his brother that's the famous guy with the Oxford movement. This is the, the older son. And he uh, was actually a layman his whole life. But he was always very interested in the church, thanks to, I think, the influence of his brother. And he saw the dangers that were threatening the church there in England in his own day. And he saw them in militaristic terms, right? He saw the danger that was facing the church in England of sort of like a proto-modern modernization, a modernizing movement. And, and he regarded that as very dangerous. And so this hymn he composes is a prayer to God to protect and preserve his church against all of the enemies that are around her on every side. It looks like if it's up to us, this thing is going down. How many times across the history of the church has that been the conviction of God's people? They look around them and say, I don't think that we're going to make it. But they had a promise from God that they would make it. And so through the entire long stretch of battle, the word of God continued to be proclaimed and to sustain a people of God in every place. What would you say are the primary biblical texts? We're going to go through a lot of stuff, but what are the primary texts? Well, I honestly think there is one primary biblical text that sort of informs the entire hymn. And believe it or not, I think it's Psalm 18, which is a very long psalm. But listen to the heading, which we don't usually read, but listen. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said. And then the psalm goes on. We're going to actually work our way through several pieces of it as we work through the hymn itself. But that's, I think, a primary place. The obvious secondary place that you're going to see in here is going to be the disciples in the boat with Jesus in Mark chapter 4. Here is the first stanza of Lord of our life, Lord of our life and God of our salvation, star of our night and hope of every nation. Hear and receive your church's supplication, Lord God Almighty. you say about this first stanza well before we actually do the first stanza can we also comment on that lovely tune we just heard sure yeah okay because uh, the tune is called iste confessor it showed up 
as for the first time in the 18th century in France, 1746, and in a collection of um, music for Vespers. And so I just want to kind of note that it has that that origin, but it has about it a very haunting quality. It's even called Neo-Gallican chant. When you listen to it, I think you can hear how well it fits the words of this piece. I think it's an ingenious pairing. We don't only use it for this text, of course, but for this text, it goes very, very, very well. So do you remember a few years back when we had Dr. George up at the uh, Making the Case conference? Yes, Dr. Robert George. Yeah, and I think when we, uh, it was Matins that we did, we sang this hymn at, and when we were done, he just, when he began his little uh, spiel there, which was wonderful, he commented, had to comment on the hymn, not just the hymn, but the way we sang it. Because, well, if you've never been to a Making the Case conference, you need to go for the music. Okay, the speakers are great. But when you put all those Lutherans together in that room and the singing goes forth and the organ is blaring, it is just glorious. And you could feel the militaristic nature of the hymn itself, the seriousness of the battle that runs through this entire hymn. St. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. And this hymn is about how Christians fight that fight above all with prayer, how they take hold of their prayer and they throw up to God their petitions and from him receive the strength to endure. I said it was based a lot in Psalm 18. So let me just give you a few verses from that to, to consider. First of all, notice Lord of our life and God of our salvation. Think about 18 verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. You get it? The Lord himself is the fortress in which David is taking refuge. He's the God of our life and the God of our salvation. And then star of our night. Think about Psalm 18, verse 28. It is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. He's quite convinced that the light that he needs to make it through the darkness of this world and even the darkness of, what do they call it? The fog of war, the battles, the skirmishes that surround us. That light comes to him directly from the Lord also. And then hear and receive your church's supplication, Lord God Almighty, Think about Psalm 18, verses 3 to 6. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I cried upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Or you might think of Psalm 27 also, where David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So when the church is afraid, seeing all the dangers around her, her native response is to turn to the Lord, who is her life, her salvation, her light in the darkness. 
and to plead for him to give her salvation yet now, yet once again, from all of her enemies. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're studying the church militant hymn, Lord of Our Life. On the other side stands a two. See round your ark the hungry billows curling. See how your foes their banners are unfurling. And with great spite their fiery darts are hurling. O Lord, preserve us. When defending a biblical doctrine or practice, have you ever been accused of not caring for the lost? I've written a column in the latest issues, etc. journal titled Playing the Mission Card. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Jeremy Lamont recounts his slow and sometimes painful path out of Mormonism to the Lutheran Confession. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. listeners are needed to vote for President of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has the right to vote through a pastoral and a lay voter, two voters per congregation or parish. Voter registration must be completed by Midnight Central on March 19th of 2023. Request to be a voter at your congregation for President of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Learn more at issuesetc.org slash 2023 nominations. Equipping the priesthood of all believers, you're listening to Issues Etc. One of the greatest treasures in the Lutheran Church is the Lutheran Confessions, but it has not always been that way. From June 1st to the 3rd, Concordia University Chicago is hosting a seminar on the role of the confessional documents in the 19th century confessional revival. We invite you to come and learn about the recovery of the Lutheran Confessions through lectures and workshops, along with opportunities for prayer and fellowship. For more information, please visit cuchicago.edu slash confessionalism seminar. The church is a family. St. Paul writes, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. At Redeemer Lutheran Church, we rejoice to be a part of that household of faith, gathered around the gifts of Christ in word and sacrament. If you're in the Lawrence, Kansas area, it would be our pleasure to have you join our family. We also have the privilege of serving the University of Kansas. If you have a son or daughter who attends KU or one of the other area universities, we would love for them to join us and to make Redeemer their home away from home. For more information about our church, please visit redeemer-lawrence.org. the two of the hymn, Lord of Our Life. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're studying this church militant hymn on this Monday, March the 6th. Why a mention of the ark? Well, we're going to get to that uh, as we uh, 
when we get to Mark, but I, I, I want to, can, can I actually start with something I should have said before? Is sure. that okay? Sure. And my mind is so scattered. Sorry. I should have clarified from the start that when we obviously are talking about Christian warfare, which is so important, we are not talking about worldly warfare. It's not about how to inflict bodily harm and injury on other people, but it is about a very diligent use of spiritual weapons and vigilance so that we stand fast in our faith, so that we stand firm in our confession of Jesus Christ, and so that we remain steadfast in that confession of Christ, even to the death. And so it's, it's sort of like this underlying military theme is why in our rite of confirmation, we ask every confirmant, will, will you endure all things, including death, rather than fall away from this faith that they've just professed. It's basically a recognition that in baptism, we are enrolled, every single one of us, in the militia Christi, and we have a battle that will not end till the grave with the temptations of the world around us, with our sinful nature, our flesh, and also with the devil and his demons who always try to stop the spread of God's word and the gospel. It should have been obvious from the get-go, but if anyone was thinking I was in any way encouraging worldly violence, that's the exact opposite of everything that the Christian military image actually stands for. So why the ark? Okay. Do you remember in Mark 4, we had this beautiful image. It was evening, the day of you know, uh, been spent teaching and Jesus says to his disciples, okay, we need to get into the boat and we need to cross over to the other side. And he'd been teaching all day. And so of course he was worn out and he goes, lays down on a cushion in the stern and falls asleep. And as he's sleeping, this horrible, great windstorm sweeps up and the waves were breaking into the boat. The boat was already beginning to fill up. And the disciples are freaking. They're like, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? They wake him. And he then turns to the wind and the waves and says, peace, be still. And then they ceased and there was a great calm. And he turns to them and says, so why were you afraid? Where was your faith? And they're filled with great fear. You see them, like I always picture them backing away from him, asking, who is this man that even the wind and the sea listen to him? Well, the church has read that story and read that story and read that story and felt, you know what? We have that experience with the disciples over and over again, where it feels like we're a little boat out on the, the sea and that the elements are against us and there's nothing we can do to save this little boat. And all we can do is wake up the Lord and say, please awake, arise. You know, don't you care? Do something. And of course, he always does. He speaks the word that actually calms all the storms. And once that word is spoken, he can turn to us and say, now, did you forget the power of my word? Did you forget how I have all power in heaven and on earth? Don't be afraid, little flock. The father really is tickle pink to give you the kingdom. So be of good cheer, be of good courage. I think that's kind of the image of the church the little bark of Christ trying to cross the waves of the sea to make its way home to the safe haven of heaven and along the way being wildly assaulted. That's the first image, so see around your ark. Well, you know what we should also mention, of course, First Peter 3 puts us into the ark via baptism, right? So the place to be when the waters started, when the winds were howling and the, the water was rising, the place to be was inside the ark, 
because the ark was lifted up and borne on the flood, and those who were inside the ark were saved. And Peter's like baptism corresponds to the ark. It's it saves you now. You know, it doesn't wash dirt away from your flesh. It gives you the appeal of a clean conscience to God. So that's also uh, why the image of the ark is associated with the church. And let's add one more thing. If you look at the actual structure of many churches and you flip them upside down, you realize you're, <laughs> you're looking at something that's built to look like the ark. And one more thought that this is just something that occurred to me in my personal Bible reading, and I haven't had a chance to actually check it all the way out, so don't take this as gospel truth, but it occurred to me that the ark with its three levels and all of that was actually rather much related to the three levels in the temple. And I wondered if that was a way of thinking of the temple also as the place where, of course, salvation could be had, the place where you would be able to escape from the wrath raining down on the outside. I think that that, that kind of completes the idea of the ark. I also think this entire stanza here very much reflects David's words in the middle of Psalm 18. Listen to this. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. And then listen, I love this whole section. It's like, you know, God help. And then what's the response? Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through the clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire, and he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth his lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the earth were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord." At the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He has brought me out into a broad place. He has rescued me because he delighted in me. I mean, can you sort of see the the, the connection between those two pictures? Oh, like, Help, Lord. And then, of course, when he has like, what? You are touching my my anointed? Then, uh, you know, this fiery response. The idea of the banners unfurling, it's worthwhile to remember that if the church is militant, so are her enemies. Satan is not disorganized. He comes after you with a very organized assault. And the point of any banner is that it shows you on the battlefield where you belong. So the devil rallies his troops around his banner. And I don't know, Todd, I just have the belief that his banner has emblazed on it. Did God really say? <laughs> you know, that's what he has to go to war with. Fiery darts, well, I think obviously from Ephesians 6 and the, the talk about the, 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 the shield of faith, which can extinguish the fiery darts the enemy shoes our way. One other thought on there with about a minute before we take a break, and we don't say our foes in that second line of the stanza. We say your foes. Your thoughts? Yeah. 
Because if you touch the people of God, you've touched the apple of God's eye, and they are then, I mean, he's in covenant with us, right? And because he is in covenant with us, to assault the church is to assault him. And he takes it that way. That's always a very great comfort to the people of God to stop and realize, hey, you mess with us. You know who you're really going to be answering to. He's got us covered. We're looking at the church militant hymn, Lord of Our Life. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. He's author of the book Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. You can purchase these books on the Talk on Demand archives page at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. We have stanza three of Lord of Our Life on the other side. Lord, be our light when worldly darkness veils us. Lord, be our shield when earthly armor fails us. And in the day when hell itself assails us, grant us your peace, Lord. Church music directors can find a new community at Prelude to Postlude, the CPH Music blog. Learn helpful tips for managing music ministry and involving members, and meet the composers of some of your favorite new pieces. Plus, find suggestions of music to use for special services, and preview some of our newest works with free samples you can use at your church. Visit us at preludetopostlude.org. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we mosey along in St. Luke's Gospel with The Lost Sons, Part 1, The Lost Sons, Part 2, and The Lost Sons, Part 3, The Dishonest Manager and God and Money. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and lay people worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy promotes confessional Lutheran theology through conferences, scholarly exchanges, and publications like Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up for their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com You wish your classical school could do more for struggling learners? Uncertain where to begin? The Memoria Press Schools Division includes Cheryl Swope, author of Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. The Schools Division will happily assist your school. Memoria Press offers an entire line of special needs resources for teaching math, reading, spelling, and more. Contact schools at memoriapress.com or order directly from simplyclassical.com with coupon code LPR23. Old theology, new technology, you're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Augsburg Lutheran, Shawnee, Kansas. Concordia Lutheran, Geneseo, Illinois. Holy Cross Lutheran, Carlisle, Illinois. Hope Lutheran, Melbourne, Florida. Mount Zion Lutheran, Greenfield, Wisconsin. Our Savior Lutheran, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Redeemer Lutheran, Marshalltown, Iowa. St. John Lutheran, Port Sanilac, Michigan. St. Paul Lutheran, Long Beach, California. Trinity Lutheran, St. Charles, Missouri. And Zion Lutheran, Tacoma, Washington.
Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Stanza 3 of the Church Militant Hymn, Lord of Our Life. We're studying with Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. What would you say about this third stanza? Well, you know, tomorrow is the day of Saints Perpetua and Felicitas martyrs. And it was the beginning of the third century. The Roman Emperor Septimus Severus forbade conversions to Christianity. And among those who disobeyed were Perpetua, a noblewoman, and her maidservant, Felicitas, they both became loyal to Christ. They were jailed in Carthage in North Africa. And I like to say they became Lutherans. What I mean by that is all martyrs are Lutherans. When it comes to your final moments of martyrdom, your suffering, your death, and your confession of Christ, everybody has to live by faith alone. Because all of the other trappings of this life are being taken away, right? They're gone. Think of those two girls being tormented and killed and yet remaining faithful to Jesus. And hear the words again, Lord, be our light when worldly darkness veils us. Lord, be our shield when earthly armor fails us. And in the day when hell itself assails us, grant us your peace, Lord. In the day that we are being martyred for our faith and confession of Jesus, Lord, sustain us with the heavenly peace which cannot be shaken. That certainly was the case with those two, and they've been commemorated in the church ever since, joyfully remembered for the brave and bold way that they went to their deaths. I can almost, I mean, if I could put it this way, they were manly in the face of suffering, those two. They showed us how we should be willing to suffer and die for Jesus. And I think that's a, a beautiful uh, a testimony for us to remember about them uh, as tomorrow dawns. So Lord be our light. It, it Again, Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord gives you a light that death itself is not going to be able to snuff out. That is the light of his love in Christ. So Psalm 56 cries out, you've delivered my soul from death, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. The psalmist there is crying proleptically already the resurrection song, right? He's already living it. And you go into death with the comfort that comes from uh, Psalm 119, 105, the famous words, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path through the darkness of the shadow of death. I have a word that will guide the way and bring me safe through. 
the unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And, oh, there's just so many biblical images of that. Same thing with shield, right? Lord, be our shield when earthly armor fails us. Those ladies had no earthly armor, right? They're standing there with their... (laughs) Their flesh exposed and they're about to be destroyed. And what's what's their shield? Well, their, their shield is the Lord himself. Psalm 5, you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. Psalm 18, verse 30, back to Psalm 18 again. So very, very worthwhile to think about the Lord God being our our sun and our shield and how then what we need to be able to do is be prepared, no matter what suffering and affliction come our way, to stand fast and make the good confession, just as those two women did. It's a beautiful thing. And then you have this line at the end, and in the day when hell itself assails us. Now, you got the promise from Jesus in Matthew 18, or 16 rather, that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. We know that's true. As we say in the Augsburg Confession, the church in, you know, one holy Christian church endures forever. We know that that's going to be the case. But certainly in very trying moments, the church feels as though hell's jaws are closing in on it and it's going to go under. And when it has that feeling, it can only turn to Christ and pray for the gift of his peace. Grant us your peace, Lord. In other words, don't just calm me down. What I need to get through this is the very peace that characterized your being. You can't hear that verse and not think of John 14, verse 27. Jesus already told him they're going to be denying him, running away, all that stuff. And he told them, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then at the end of the chapter, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. In other words, it's a free gift. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So peace is what Jesus has on offer. And this is what I think is so striking to the people that are putting martyrs to death. Over and over and over again, they see that they go to their death in a peace that is simply, well, it's not worldly because it's the peace of Jesus himself. Here is stanza four of Lord of Our Life, picking up on the end of stanza three. Peace in our hearts where sinful thoughts are raging. Peace in your church, our troubled souls assuaging. Peace when the world its endless war is waging. Peace in your heaven. Talk about how this final stanza describes the peace that you mentioned there, Christ's own peace. Well, in chapter 14, he had said, 
peace I leave you, my peace I give you. At the very, very tail end of the entire uh, farewell discourse, he returns to it again. And in John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I've said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart or but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. So there is a peace that has reached you in Jesus which can settle even your heart. And this becomes a very powerful. Remember how St. John would write, hey, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And God is the one who has promised you forgiveness. We know that our hearts do condemn us. Think about Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Or how Jesus would say, out of the heart proceed all the, I mean, he goes to list all the garbage of sin. It all comes from the heart, from the desire of man, the will of man. Think about Galatians 5.17. The desires of the flesh, they're against the spirit. The desires of the spirit, they're against the flesh. These two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Your wanter working on either side there, if you will. And so peace is actually capable of happening in such a sinful heart only when it rests in Jesus, when it rests in the perfection of his finished work of his atonement, of his cross, when it rests in him and in his under his blood, there can be a peace. Because, you know, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I know I have deserved God's wrath. Yes, I know I continue to sin every day. But there is forgiveness that has been won for the entire world by this precious blood. And it brings to me the gift of peace itself. It doesn't feel peaceful. I'm thinking about the three realms that this stanza deals mm-hmm. with peace in our hearts, peace in the church, and then peace as we live as strangers and aliens in this world. We don't see or feel peace in any of those realms, even as Christians. Yeah, I would say especially not a worldly sense of peace. But I do think that there is a sense of peace that comes to God's people. I I mean, again, I'm going to go back to the example of, of the martyrs. When they can face death and face it with the peace that comes from faith, the peace that comes from knowing I have been justified by the blood of Christ. I stand before God holy and sinless. Christ's death and resurrection have destroyed my death. I can have peace. I think what you were uh, driving us toward with your first question there is that it's not it's not a feeling. It's not I mean it's not merely a, a, a sensation of not having I don't know what to call it. It's not having anxiety. It's it, in this case peace is another name for faith in action. That's what it is. It's faith in what Christ has done, and it struggles to rest in him. Think about how Hebrews will say, strive to enter that rest. <laughs> so, so we have that striving constantly in this world to enter into that peace. We know it can only come as gift from the Lord Jesus, which is why we're asking for it. Peace in our hearts and peace in the church and peace even in the world. That's a challenging one right there. With about a minute here before the break, isn't that part of the comfort that we have in the face of mourning those who have gone on to be with Christ? Is that while we, what does the other hymn say? We feebly struggle. They, we, right. they in glory shine. Yeah, they, they are at rest and they are at peace. A, yeah. a genuine pervasive peace where it's not the peace of faith, it's a peace of sight. Well, we have a teasing taste of it in our lives by faith. 
they have the fullness of it. Yeah, it makes us long for that day. That's what the martyrs are so peaceful heading toward. They know they're living already from where they're heading. And I guess when you're that close to death, you can get to experience it even before it happens. It's a beautiful thing. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. When we come back from the break, we're going to hear the entire hymn that we're studying, Lord of Our Life, and we'll get Pastor Whedon's final thoughts. You can meet and hear journalists Mark and Molly Hemingway, LCMS President Matt Harrison, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordleone, Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, and Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. Do you know the fastest growing religious group in the United States? Is it Roman Catholics? Nope. It's not Protestants either. Rather, it's those who mark none on religion's preference surveys. They don't belong to any particular denomination. They still believe in some sort of spiritual being and reality, but they don't believe and don't claim adherence to any particular religious group. The March issue of The Lutheran Witness picks up the question of the nuns. To learn more, visit witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Providing artillery support for the church militant on the front lines, you're listening to Issues Etc. Job saw the city as a wasteland as if devoid of God, witnessing injustice to the poor by the corrupt, lawlessness of criminals, trafficking of children, blatant immorality, thinking God could not see wicked deeds done in the dark of night. Yet God never abandoned Job, nor his city, groaning for mercy. God is working through the living Redeemer, hands etched with salvation, pointing to the resurrection to come. Join us at lcms.org slash citymission to seek peace and shine the light in the city. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're studying the church militant hymn, Lord of Our Life. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. He's hosted the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Pastor Whedon will be leading the three worship services and the hymn sing at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The premier conference for Christian laity is Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. The early bird registration fee is $140 and includes three meals. On-campus dorm options are available. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call, 618-223-8385. Making the case June 16th and 17th in River Forest, Illinois. Well, let's listen to the entire hymn, Lord of Our Life. 
Lutheran Public Radio Choir with the hymn, Lord of Our Life. What are your final thoughts here, Will? Well, can I ask if you would share that great insight you just shared with me a second ago? Because it was so cool. Well, it wasn't mine, and I can't remember who said it, and it's been years ago. But we were talking earlier about the martyrs and how they could face certain death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knowing this is it. I'm going to die with that kind of peace that only Christ can give. And I can't remember who said a fellow pastor or professor, they said it's because they knew that they were leaving behind a world full of, of sin and hatred and anger. And the analogy that they used is what if you had been trapped your whole life in a house with violent, crazy people and someone finally opened the door and said, come on out here. And so they can leave this world of sorrow and sin with that kind of peace. I love that. I mean, I just think that is so absolutely right on because even if the door, if you haven't seen the door start to crack open yet, you know you have this promise that that, that door's going to open. And when it opens, this is what's on the other side. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Todd, that's peace painted for you there. And that is on the other side of the door, which Christ has made death. I mean, death doesn't naturally lead that way, right? But Christ, by his suffering and death, has opened the door into that. And that's the peace that he actually reaches us and for which we pray in this hymn that it may rule us. I mean, I, in many ways, this hymn is reflecting on St. Paul's words to the Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called. Be thankful. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. He formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands, and he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Todd. When we return on this Monday afternoon, we'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. It's the third Sunday in Lent. Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, will be our guest. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. This is Pastor Tyler Arnold of Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri. The Saints at Village are proud to be an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. 
If you are in the St. Louis area, join us for the divine service at 8.15 or 10.45 a.m., Bible study and Sunday school at 9.30 a.m., as we receive Christ's promise of salvation and forgiveness through word and sacrament. You can find us at villagelutheranchurch.org. Village Lutheran in St. Louis welcomes you. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. Lutheran Talk. The cause of our salvation doesn't lie within us, but instead it lies outside of us, namely in the mercy of our God who sends his Son to live and die and rise again for us. Lutheran Music. Listen anytime, anywhere with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org.